Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. It's Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21. Can we all stand for the reading of God's word? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. And it's good to see you, especially for those that are coming back for spring break. How holy of you, instead of going out. Well, perhaps some of you guys will go out, but come into church first. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to say uh, yesterday I went to um, Albert and Mina's second child's uh, first birthday. That's a lot of, but Haley's first birthday, and just a few months back, we as a congregation we prayed for Albert and Mina's baby uh, so that she can be healthy. And that God would save her. And the fact that we were able to celebrate a first birthday was just amazing to me. And just wanted to share with this congregation because we prayed for her. That God has been listening to our prayers. And Albert and Mina's prayers especially for their child. A lot of times people say life is like whatever your age is. is the miles per hour that you're going. I'm sure you've heard this before. So if you're like 10 years old, you're going at 10 miles per hour. You just can't wait to grow up, can't wait to go faster. If you're 25, you know, you think like you're kind of cruising, but it can go a little better. Once you hit 60, you're like, please slow down. And then there's no brakes in the car anymore. Um, <clears throat> recently, I have been feeling kind of like, not that I'm 60, but I have been feeling sort of like that and... Uh, even last year at this time, like I've never heard this song before. Apparently, it's a very popular song. It's a song called Stop This Train. It's just like playing in my head, Stop This Train. Um, but even though life may seem like that, I just want to say sometimes there's a nice little rest stop. Very few times in life. I think yesterday was one of those moments for me where I got to see God really bless a family and take care of someone and answer their prayers. So I wanted to say thank you to this congregation um, 
for praying and, you know, we lift up the prayers and the concerns for each other. Uh, And God really does listen. So praise be to God. Also, on another note, a little lighter note, uh, our basketball season is continuing. So if you want to come join us or just spectate or even play with us, more than welcome to play with us. It doesn't matter how tall, how short, how quick or slow. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. Everybody's welcome to play. Uh, And so we would love for you to join us. And today's topic is kind of like basketball in the sense where we have a name for someone that never passes the ball and always shoots. And you always see someone like that in any kind of basketball game because if they get the ball in, they want to keep on shooting because they're hot, right? That's what they say. But if they miss, they want to keep on shooting because they need to get hot, right? So you're in this one game, and there's always a person that always shoots the ball, and it really affects the team dynamics because now other players are like, wait, I want to shoot the ball too. So instead of passing the ball around, immediately when they get the ball, they'll shoot, and of course they'll miss, and then everybody will be mad at everybody. And the game's not as fun. Greed. It's a good desire gone wrong. Greed is more than just being a ball hog, though. You know, God created us to have possessions and to wield these possessions. This is an actually a healthy desire. God created us to have desires as humans, but not just that. God created us to have these desires met. So greed, or in some versions of your Bible, it might have said covetousness. It's a desire that is now inappropriate, either in its intensity, or the desire in the object itself is inappropriate. So greed is a desire that is inappropriate, either in its intensity, or the desire in the object itself. There's a book, and it's incredibly important to note that this book was written in 1991. I realize some of us may not have been born at that time, which makes me a little depressed, but it's okay. But this book was written in 1991, and it's called The Day America Told the Truth. The reason why this is significant, even though it's 20-something years back, is that even if you weren't born, that means most of us, our parents, were working. So this is a generation above us, and this is the culture surrounding that. They asked these Americans, would you for $10 million, I sound like the lotto guy, right? Would you for $10 million blank? And you would either answer yes or no. So for $10 million in 1991, would you abandon, abandon your entire family? 25% said yes. Would you abandon your church? 25% said yes. Would you become a prostitute for a week or more? 23% said yes. Would you give up your American citizenship? 16% said yes. Although I should note that these days, 
maybe many more would abandon their American citizenship for much less. It's not easy going to Canada, you guys. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Canada is okay, but, you know, I've looked at the refugee status. I did, and, you know, the fact that we might have a president you like or not like won't grant you that refugee status, so it's going to be a little difficult. Anyway, let's move on. Would you leave your spouse? 16% said yes. Would you withhold a testimony and let a murderer go free? 10% said yes. That means one out of 10 people they asked would let a murderer go free for that money. Would you kill a stranger? 7% said yes. Would you put your own children up for adoption? 3% said yes. See, Rebecca DeYoung describes greed as an excessive love for money or some kind of possession money can buy. And this is a good adage that we can remember that I enjoy. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. This passage take, talk, takes on greed and talks about greed. And it's so important that we see this, that Jesus is talking about greed. But it's also important to note that this passage is not singularly put out and all of a sudden it talks about greed. If you look in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is constantly talking about money, constantly talking about greed. And that is why this situation has come up. Luke talks about money more than anything else. In fact, one-third of the parables talked about, taught by Jesus was about money and greed. So here this man comes out of the crowd and he says, my brother took a hold and took control of the inheritance. I want you to tell him to share. It's not anything out of the blue because Jesus continues to talk about money. Jesus talks about money a lot, and it challenges me. Maybe our church should talk about money a little bit more. A lot of people get afraid, though. You know, Pastor, are you going to ask us to give us more offering? No, it's about something even bigger than that, so much more huge. Jesus is continually telling people how to deal with your money So this man is asking Jesus to talk to his brother about this. This is very interesting. We take a pause here. Jesus talks about money. He's talking about greed. He's talking about giving and sharing. And this man is like this. Oh, this sermon is so good. I wish this person was here to listen to this. Oh, this sermon would be perfect for this other guy. And that's how this man listened to Jesus. Tim Keller wrote, Some years ago I was doing a seven-part series of talks on the seven deadly sins at a men's breakfast. My wife Kathy told me, I'll bet that the week you deal with greed will be the lowest attendance. And she was right. People packed out for lust, wrath, and even for pride. But no one thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've come to... I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. 
And Tim Keller continues, greed hides itself from its victim. The money god's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. You have to start wondering why we as a people don't give more. Why don't we give more? And if the basic tenets or the characteristics of our faith are the three things, faith, hope, and love, we have to challenge ourselves in faith, why don't we give more? Perhaps it's a lack of faith. Because if I give, how will I support myself? How will I pay the rent I barely get by? I have these expenses and this is my income. I've, t- I've taken accounting 101 and these barely meet. Hope. Where do we get our sense of value from? So if I don't have this thing in my life, if I don't have the newest blank, if I don't have the best blank, then it will seem as though we're struggling. We can't show that to the public. I have an image to uphold. Or this family has an image to uphold with our neighbors. Love. Is it perhaps a lack of sympathy, sensitivity to the unbelievable need that is just across the street? You see, when you start thinking about greed and the opposite of greed, giving is at the heart, the very heart. And this is what Jubin, our praise leader, was saying, give him your worship Giving is at the heart of worship. Worship is about giving everything that you have. That's true worship. If you do not give, that is not worship. Giving is actually in all the subjects and topics Jesus is talking about. It's not just a part of it. Giving is at the heart of it. He asked Jesus this this request because Jesus is always talking about giving and sharing. You have to realize that there is no reality of Christ in your life if we treat our money, our possessions, no differently than anyone else in the world. That's why Jesus never stopped talking about this as uncomfortable as it may have been. And that's why the man asked. That's the request. Jesus, talk to my brother. Have him share. Now this is a very, very interesting passage because Jesus doesn't go, yeah, you're getting it, man. You caught it. It's about giving. And your brother needs to learn how to give. Tithe more to the church. Things of that sort. But Jesus says, no. This is where it gets confusing. If you really listen to the passage when our deacon was reading it, shouldn't it be a little confusing? There he comes out. Jesus, do this good thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, who made me judge and arbiter over you? It's like, where is this coming from? It feels like left field. And it feels a little confusing. And in fact, the word arbiter in Greek is divider. It's to divide. But here's where it gets even more confusing. He's like, who made me a divider among you guys? But in verse 51, the very same chapter, 
It says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I came to divide. So from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father and son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And Jesus is saying, I am the divider. But all of a sudden here, he's saying, who made me the divider? That's a little confusing. And if you look at the Greek, I don't think Luke put that there to directly contradict himself in that very same paragraph. It's there for a reason. And being a divider is so important. It's all, it's a theme across the Old Testament. This is an embarrassing topic in youth group, but I hope that because we are adults, we can take this seriously The Old Testament is about cuts, cuts, snip, snip, right? It's about cuts and then men would have to get circumcised, right? It's about cutting the foreskin off. And that's how you differentiated yourself from everyone else. It's about cutting. So literally cutting, but also spiritually cutting. Either you worship him and you subject yourself to him, or you run away in fear and hate. Either you worship him, subject yourself to Jesus, or you run away fearing and hating Jesus. So, are you still confused? Hopefully, because it is a little confusing. In the Greek, when he read, uh, when Michael read um, what Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of of your possessions. The actual literally in the Greek, it meant you do not exist in your possessions. That didn't make much sense to translate literally, so our translators translated it the way that you read today. But it is saying you do not exist in your possessions. So what is Jesus really saying here? He is saying, my job, is to actually tell you what your life really consists of. Why you really exist. See, you come to me, you, Jesus is saying that, not me, but you come to me and you are saying, get me this God, get me that God. And Jesus is saying, you actually don't know why I'm really here. You think I'm here to get these things for you in your life. But I'm here to be your life. I'm thinking about being a Christian. Jesus, I'll call out in the crowd. I'm thinking about following you. Jesus, tell this person to marry me. Make me a partner in the firm. Convince the critics that I am actually a great singer. Give me the raise that I'm really hoping for and this is what we pray for and Jesus says no I didn't come here to do things for you so that you can say that this is your life I came to be your life because he is saying if you do not you will be like chaff blown away by the wind you will be blown away with your money 
with your singing, with your romanticism. So Jesus is saying, instead of you being like chaff, I have come to give you real substance. True substance. Eternal life. See, God wants to be your all, your everything. Is there anything heavier and of more substance than God himself? In the Hebrew, glory meant kavod. Kavod means weight. God came to give you weight so you would not be blown away. So what if you get that job? It would help you for a minute a month. If you get that spouse, maybe it'll go all the way to your life. But he is saying a minute, a month, your life, there is even more to that in eternity. He wants to give you substance for eternity. And that is why he gives us the parable of the foolish rich man. A fool is someone that is out of touch with reality. And in this passage, the fool is someone who has hatred for God's definition of reality. See, money made this man a fool. His greed made him a fool. Because he saved as though that this life was all there is. I can have joy, I can have peace, because I saved. Here's the thing. To save is not foolish. There is a material world. I'm not saying don't save. There are people who do not know how to save and spend all their money frivolously. And Jesus is not saying do that. But... To save everything is foolish because there is a spiritual world. If there is a material world, we need to learn how to save. But if there is a spiritual world, then we must know that to save everything is ultimately foolish as well. So how should we spend? In Luke chapter 16 verse 9, it says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And this sounds kind of out of the blue too. What? Spend my money so I make friends? How can they be really my friends? You know, if I really want friends, then I'll just put up a nice profile picture on Facebook and have them like it. That's how you really make friends, Jesus, not by spending money on them. He is saying, put your money, if you're going to spend it, invest it into things that will last. That will last. People last, you guys. People that know Jesus last. It's not a foolish thing to spend your money on people. This is why as a church, we spend our money Our budget is on other people. It's on missions so that we can share the gospel of Christ and share eternity with them. It's on food for the local people in Hackensack, the homeless ministries that we have. It's so that we can go out to Bergen Regional and share our joy with the elderly. 
It's also for our own fellowship so that we can encourage each other. It's not a terrible thing to spend food, money on food so that we can encourage our body. We spend money on people. In the letter to Diognetus, he writes this one line that is very notable. And he says, Christians share their table with all, but not their beds with all. Christians share their table with all, but not their beds with all. If the world is everything, this is what it means. If the world is everything there is, if this world, this life is everything there is, then yes. If someone comes to you and says, let's have sex, you'd be like, okay, what's the big deal? And if someone says, give me your money, you'd be like, no, money is private. Money is personal. Money is mine. If the world is all there is, then yes, that is a proper response. In fact, I don't see how else you could respond if this life was all there is. So gratify yourself and save money so that you can only serve yourself. But you see in the letter to Diognetus, Christians he is seeing is totally reversed. They give money to anybody. If you asked and they said, we have a need, they gave it to them. And they didn't have sex with anybody. It's either one person or none. One person or none. In the first church days, they gave money to anyone that asked and sex with either one or none. You see, Christians were totally reversed because the world is not all. Greed essentially kills the soul because we are made to think that this world is everything. That's what greed really is showing you, saying this world is everything. The moment right now is everything. So spend your money only on yourself. Gratify any kind of desire you have for yourself. It is saying that. But Jesus is telling us the truth. This is what greed will do to you. It will destroy you. It will engulf your soul. Men who trap animals in Africa a long time ago, the hardest animal they, they, they trap was called the ring-tailed monkey. There was a tribe called the Zulus of that continent. For them, it was simple. So the ring-tailed monkey was incredibly difficult to catch, but the Zulus had a method because they had a knowledge of this animal. And the trap was very simple. The trap was they would take a melon, and this melon contained the seeds that were very favorable to the monkey. The monkey loved these seeds. It was the favorite of this monkey. And knowing this, they would simply cut a hole in the melon only big enough so that the hand would barely fit with the seeds inside. The monkey would stick his hand in, hand in, grab as many seeds as he can, and then try to withdraw his hand. And he will find that he cannot withdraw the hand from the melon. His fist is bigger than the hole. The monkey will pull. It will start tugging. After a few moments, it'll start screeching. It'll fight the melon. 
and it will do this for hours. But he can't get free. This trap has him unless he lets go of the seeds, which he refuses to do. Meanwhile, the Zulus sneak up behind him and grab him. My friends, greed is deceptive. It will show you that all you need is yourself. All you need to do is take care of your own and you will be fine. This life is all there is, so make sure you enjoy it. Don't suffer for even a little bit because you deserve no suffering. And I am telling you that the Bible shows us that this is a blatant lie. That we are to invest our money into things that are greater than ourselves. My friends, this is bigger than just offering. I'm talking about how you spend your money reflects the faith, the hope, and the love that you have. The rich person stores. We see Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The rich person may store, but the Lord emptied himself for who? He emptied himself for us. He emptied himself For you, the hope that we have now is that we can never run dry because the one who emptied himself for us is the everlasting spring that will never run dry. And he's saying, come to me if you are weary of this world. Aren't you weary for ever upgrading, forever keeping up with the Joneses, for convincing yourself that you are all you need. Aren't you weary and tired? Come to me and follow me, and I will be your life. I will be everything. Jesus does not run dry. Even though he emptied himself until death, God did not see him die, but raised him back up. From the dead. And now those that believe in Jesus have eternal life. Jesus did die for us, but he didn't remain that way. He was resurrected so that anyone who would believe in him would also have the fruit of resurrection in him. What God really wants for us is eternity. It's eternity. And Jesus is offering himself to us. May he be our everything. Let's take time to pray. We may have come here with a heart that may not have been so different from the man. God, I have these things in my life that needs an ordering, a prioritizing, a cleaning up. But Jesus responds by saying, you want the ultimate priority then. You want the ultimate thing. I am life. I am truth. I am the way. Follow me. 
And if there's anything in us that we need to really surrender to the Lord, let's do that at this time. Surrender everything that you have and see if God doesn't bless what you have even more. You can test him in this because he is good. He does want the best for you. This isn't a sermon about this other brother who should share. This is a sermon about you. Let us pray.